your state, your team, your show. This is Sports Nightly. Ramsey quickly lines him up, gets a snap, looking to throw. Husker send a blitz, he's hit, and it's fumbled. The ball's out, and I think Ramsey got it back at the 25-yard line. He got tomahawk by Luke Reimer, and the ball was laying there for a moment, but Ramsey able to roll over and jump on the football at the 25. Wow. Sports Nightly is presented by the NDOT Highway Safety Office, who reminds you to buckle up and put the phone down. Now, let's check the pulse of Husker Nation with your hosts, Greg Sharp and Ben McLaughlin. Here we are. Thank you so much for spending some of your Thursday night with us. We are honored. Numbers, if you want to be a part of the program, 531-500-4686. That is our Sports Nightly Hotline brought to you by the Woodhouse Auto Family, bringing you more choices in brands, locations, and service. Experience the difference. Purchase with confidence. This is Woodhouse. Big show for you tonight. We're going to have a practice report here in a couple of minutes. The head coach met with the media after the workout today. Didn't have a whole lot of inside information, but he will be with us for an entire hour. Hour number two of the show tonight. He'll be joining us to talk Husker football. Two games into this, what now is going to be a seven-game regular season for the Big Red. Can't wait to get him on. Get your comments, questions ready for him, either with a phone call in hour two or with a text at 531-500-4686. We'll have those practice report clips coming up here in a couple of minutes. We'll also hear from head baseball coach Will Bolt. Their, their class was announced today, and it's one of the better classes in recent memory for Husker baseball, and it's one that I know the head coach is excited about. We'll hear from him in our, later on in this hour. Third hour of the program, the faceoff is back. I'm back in the center ring trying to dethrone a red-hot and seemingly unbeatable Austin Orman who has taken down Josh and Tim. Uh, I'm next, uh, next up at bat. I don't have much uh, promising outlook for that, but we'll have some fun. With the face-off, and we'll hear from Steve Jones, the voice of the Penn State Nittany Lions in the third hour, get his take on what has been a really rough start for Penn State. Began the year ranked in the top ten, but come to Lincoln in two days at 0-3. The coach didn't reveal his cards, as Josh had in the ticker, Ben. No announcement today on who the starting quarterback will be. No surprise, I don't think. I, I mean, I don't know how much that benefits him. Um, to give that out right now, you're, the only thing you're doing at this point is, is helping out Penn State. You know, right now they have to prepare for both guys, and I think the head coach would like to keep it that way. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I think that he should play the cards close to the vest as, you know, it would benefit him and the team and, and the players too for that matter. So in the back of his mind, he knows he's going to start, and, you know, it. Who, someone's got to run out there and take the first snap on Saturday against Penn State, he probably knows who it is, but you know it'll be. Uh, I think I think it'll be one of those deals where we find out whoever runs out and takes the first snap, and that, I think that's okay. That, I think that's fine. That that you know we have to wait and see who it is. I would have been surprised if he had announced it, <laughs> right? I mean, I would have been more surprised. He goes, "Yeah, we're going to go with Adrian. We're going to go with Luke. Whatever it's going to be." I'd have been more surprised if he would have revealed that today. Not that he didn't reveal that. I didn't really think there was a lot of newsworthy stuff. We'll get to that here in just a couple of minutes. Uh, This is a week that both teams desperately need a win. I mean, in this shortened season of eight games, now seven for Nebraska, and you're 0-2, and in in Penn State's case, you're 0-3, 
This is kind of this. This is kind of a line in the sand, isn't it, Ben? For for somebody to kind of try to salvage their year is to get a win on Saturday. I would think both teams will give tremendous effort, knowing how the importance of of what this shortened season will be like if you don't walk off the field with a victory on Saturday. It's your look yourself in the mirror type game for both teams, and I think that's been the common theme throughout the week that I've that I've picked up on. You know, really since listening to uh, you know our post game coverage against Northwestern, but even even still listening to Penn State's post game coverage with Maryland, and, and you know following their writers on social media, and you know just kind of the tone of around football and state college, it's kind of the same thing for those guys, and so. You know, one team's going to come out on top, and one team has to you know execute more than the other to win. And it, you got you kind of get the feeling that whoever's on the losing end, you're you're feeling maybe this way times a couple of points next week. So it's like putting even more pressure on yourself to to be the the team that comes out and plays well. Um, you know, in these identity defying games, you know, you know what what do you play for and who you play for and um, you know how much pride you take in what you're doing. All those questions come into come into fruition this week. Buckle up and put the phone down. A reminder from the NDOT Highway Safety Office. I'm going to take everybody down a little memory lane. When Nebraska joined the Big Ten Conference, 2011 being the first fall that they were an active member of the league, we had legends. We had leaders. We were a league of 12 teams, not 14. Rutgers and Maryland were just a out there thought maybe not to anybody other than Jim Delaney and so the way the original schedule was set up for the Big Ten Conference you played your division and then you had an anchor team from the other division that you were going to play every year the SEC still does that to this day they've got a team that you always match up year in and year out from the other division and then you rotate the other teams through Penn State was Nebraska's Permanent uh, alternate division rival. And so we played them for the first several years until the uh, incoming new, new, new blood of Maryland and Rutgers were joined to the league. I, I don't know if people remember that, but Penn State was on the schedule every year for Nebraska. And then once the other two came in, that, that format was dropped. You were going to get a set of three teams to play. And the infrequency that Nebraska now has seen Penn State's been pretty startling. They haven't played them since 2017. This will only be Penn State's second trip to Lincoln since Nebraska joined the league now 10 years ago. Uh, Nebraska's been to State College three times. They were fortunate enough to win two of those three games. Uh, But I think people kind of forget this was the permanent crossover when this league started for Nebraska back in 2011 to play Penn State. But we haven't seen those uniforms without the names on the back for now three years. Yeah, it's been a while. You know, it seems like Ohio State is the team that we get every year. I yep. know they come off um, soon, but it it has. It's been a while. Um, you know, you think back to, you know, the legends and the leaders and, you know, those those crossover games. Man, it seems like forever ago. And I think Penn State would like to soon forget – that time because that was when you know they were going through the the Sandusky scandal and just trying to figure out what what the heck was happening with their program and dealing with the sanctions and and all that stuff so yeah the uh the the legends and the leaders that was a long time ago and 
you know, I, I like playing Penn State. That's a team that I enjoy playing against. Yeah. They're they're a blue blood. Um and you know, we've had we've had some some good games with them. The last the last one didn't go particularly well, but uh, you know, we've had we've had some good ones with them in the past and I wouldn't mind playing them some more. I know we'll have some fans who will probably dive in and out of Sports Highly tonight because you want to get a glimpse of John Cook's volleyball team. That's going to be streamed, the video and the audio of John Bader and Lauren Cook on Huskers.com. Bottom of the hour is when that's going to take place. Ben, you and I were a part of one of these for baseball. You actually did two of these for baseball. Chance for the fans to get a look at the team. And I know Husker volleyball fans have to be starving to see this team because they should be coming down the home stretch of their season in a normal year here in mid-November, but yet they've not had a serve or a set or a spike yet this year. Their season's slated to start January 22nd, so I know some people are going to be jumping off and flipping over to Huskers.com to watch some of that, and why not? I mean, it's going to be a top-five preseason team that John Cook has, and then as we talked about last night, the amazing recruiting class that he announced yesterday that signed with the Huskers. So have some fun flipping over there tonight to watch that. Um, I know a lot of people have missed, have, have kind of had, a, had a, an empty feeling because they haven't had Husker volleyball to counteract the football stuff of the, the fall here for Husker sports. So that's going to be going on at the bottom of the air. Greg Sharp, Ben McLaughlin with you on a Thursday night. Sports Island here on the Husker Sports Network. Time for us to dive into tonight's practice report. Every practice. We're going to work on it every single day until these guys master it. All season long. There's nothing better as an athlete than being part of something that's bigger than just yourself. And I think these guys are starting to feel that and we'll keep building it. It's time for a Husker football practice report on Sports Nightly. Our practice report brought to you by JTech. Football's back and soon the cold weather will be too. If your windows aren't ready for winter, call JTech Construction, the official exterior experts of the Huskers, for a free estimate right out of the gate have you made a decision on the quarterback here's the head coach uh not much um still believe we have two really good players uh, and we'll make a decision here uh, both guys have been competing for that and, and practicing to get there and uh, we'll make a decision Got to. I mean, I know they have one more workout tomorrow they call it fast Friday where they go through a lot it's got to be made tonight got to be before the practice tomorrow, right? You got to have your one running your one stuff, I would think. Am I wrong? Yeah, I'm sure either Adrian or Luke, well, both of them um, have been told who's starting, um, you know, whoever's taking the the most reps and, um, you know, looking forward to that, you know, that new challenge. It, if it's Luke and for Adrian, you know, you, you know, you've got a guy that's, that's nipping on your heels and he's probably feeling a little bit more pressure now to play well and do the things necessary to keep the job. I think, you know, Adrian certainly brought a lot with his legs and, you know, we've talked about his arm accuracy and his decision-making. That's really the one thing that he needs to improve upon. And I'm sure both guys this week um, probably took practice pretty seriously and, you know, made, made every single rep that they got, um, you know, worth it and 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 tried to make a statement to the coaches one thing that became apparent at the northwestern game was the emergence of some of the young wide receivers marcus fleming had six catches xavier betts had two alante uh, brown has been out there the first two weeks the coach was asked about the progress of the young wide receivers we're bringing those guys along as fast as we can um 
think those are all really talented guys. I get to give the veteran receivers credit for trying to help bring those guys along, even though they're playing the same position. Uh, Cade Warner is an unbelievable individual. Uh, I think he's going to be a great football coach someday. Um, he's really shown the uh, leadership and, and unselfish qualities of a leader to try to help bring those guys along. Um, we'll keep we'll keep trying to get those guys improved. Like, like I said before, they've all missed time because of certain things that have kind of kept them from knowing the entire uh, offense and, and being able to play. But every week they're learning more, getting better, getting more reps, getting more detail. Um, and we got to keep them all healthy. Uh, that's been an issue too. But um, we'll keep trying to integrate those guys as much as they're ready to. Sure was exciting to see Marcus Fleming do what he did. He ran some really nice patterns, got himself open. Looked like he has some moves after he makes a catch as well. Yeah, we knew, we knew he had some burst and some wiggle to him after he got the ball in his hands. And I want to see more of him. And I want to see I want to see more of Betts. And I want to see, um, you know, I want to see. Obviously, I want to see more of Wandale. I just want to see what these guys can do when when uh, when the ball's thrown their way. And you know, we'll just kind of see how the reps divide themselves again on Saturday. The offensive line had to shuffle last week because of the injury to Cam Jurgens. Did not make the trip to Evanson for that game. So Matt Farniak slid from right guard to center. The coach was asked to compare the two and are the, how different are they at that center position? They're both really good players, a little different. You know, um, Matt's a little more of a thumper, a little bigger guy. Cam's really quick, really good at getting up on the second level. Um, we're obviously a better team when we have both those guys on the field. Uh, I think both are perfectly capable of running the plays that we want to run um, at center, uh, but we're better if we have both. But no indication of whether Jurgens will be back this week. So that'll be a game-time watch. It'll be a warm-up watch, see what we see out there as they go through warm-ups before the game on Saturday. The special teams uh, – Showed improvement against Ohio State. Probably took a step back would be the right way to put it for last week. What was the coach's evaluation of those units through two weeks? I think for the most part, I've seen improvement. Uh, but you look at that Northwestern game, I told the team this. Everything else, the way it was, without changing some other things that could have been changed in that game, we gave Northwestern two short fields on a kick return and a punt return, and and they scored on those two drives. And the way our defense was playing, um, would have loved to seen them have to try to go 80, 80 yards to score. Uh, so we had to get those things fixed. The net punting wasn't very good. Um, in fact, it wasn't good at all. So um, I, I've seen improvement there, but we're not there yet and uh, expected to be better this week. What have you seen from that group? Those groups, I should say. Well, I, I've seen a tale of two games. I, I thought the first game against Ohio State, special teams overall did a really nice job uh, all the way around. Kickoffs were good, all fair catches, and letting the Buckeyes start at the 25, great. Um, you know, I thought the punting was was adequate, and you know, we didn't see any mistakes in the in the kicking game. So I think thumbs up against Ohio State, probably thumbs down against Northwestern. You mentioned the kickoff return, the punt return, you missed a field goal, and your punting was bad. So, and obviously we didn't get anything in the return game. So I, I mean, it's hard to give them a passing grade. So I think they're. They're one up and one down in that area, and we still need to continue to see improvement there. One thing that, that seems to have changed in the last decade, maybe, of football, if you have to kick off for the second half, you see more and more teams who kick it into the wind because they want the wind at their back on the fourth, and I get that. 
But when you kick off and you can't get the ball to the end zone, you invite a nice kickoff return, and that's what Northwestern got out to their 39. Now, yeah, you still had, they still had to go 61 yards to score, but that seems like before 10 years ago, if you, if you had to kick off, whatever half you kicked off, you were kicking off with the wind at your back to give up the wind in the fourth quarter. I, I don't know what's right or wrong. It just seems if I'm going to have to kick off, and I know I'm kicking off once this half, I'd want to have the wind at my back. Is that odd? I mean, I think it depends how you look at it. And I think the game dictates, you know, could potentially dictate that too. And I know you got to make that call, you know, before you really know. But, you know, if you think that game is going to come down to a field goal in the fourth quarter – you're going to want your kicker with some help. You know, I, I mean, if it's going to take seven or eight yards off of your your distance to get on that last drive to put yourself in field goal range, or, or you're anticipating that being the case where you're going to need to make a kick at the end, um, then then I understand that. And, and, you know, obviously in the fourth quarter too at that point, you're going to want, um, the, you know, the, the possessions to be on your side when the game counts to have your quarterbacks thrown with the wind as opposed to against the wind. If you are trailing in the fourth quarter, it's going to make your life a little bit easier. But I, I totally see your point. Um, I think, though, you know, if I'm a coach, I'm weighing um, I'm weighing the kickoff. I mean, because that's ultimately what you're playing for is that, right. that one kick to start the half. If you can execute that kick and, and not allow coverage, I think you're going to want the wind – with you in the fourth quarter, but I understand both sides. I do. And it's, you know, it's a tough call to make. Yeah. Just went through my mind when we were kicking off. I'm like, yeah, I know you want, and, it, and the wind, I didn't think was that big a factor. It was 10 to 12 miles per hour. It wasn't just gale force winds on, on Saturday. All right. Uh, last clip, Huskers while their first home game, normally during home games, Huskers spend the night at a local hotel on Friday, keep the team together and then bust to the stadium. Coach was asked today, does, do any of those routines change during the era of COVID? No, we're going to do largely the same thing, uh, you know, all year stuff that people don't see. But when we've had kids that have been exposed to someone with COVID, we've had to put them in hotels and separate them. And we got some kids in the hotel now, so we'll have more rooms over there than we usually do and trying to keep guys isolated a little more. Uh, obviously, there won't be a, um, a march through the fans when we get to the stadium. That'll be tough. Uh, but. Pretty much our protocol for being here for Friday meetings, going to the hotel, uh, getting up and getting ready to play will be the same. And just FYI, they're going to have people shooing fans away. I mean, I know fans would love to be down there to welcome them, but they're going to be shooing you away. They're not going to let you come set up, not going to let you tailgate. So don't get that in your mind. And we'll, we'll just take the gang and go down here and tailgate, and we'll go welcome them off the bus. That's not going to happen. They're going to have campus police and uh, Lincoln police around to kind of shoo people away. It's been a busy couple of days for some coaches uh, over at the athletic department, and uh, we talked a lot about volleyball yesterday, men's and women's basketball, but today Nebraska baseball finalized their next batch of prospects and now current Huskers, and we're happy to welcome onto the program now Nebraska head baseball coach Will Bolt. Coach, first of all, I know this has been uh, unprecedented these last eight months having to recruit and put all this stuff together. You and I have chatted, I think, twice or three times since March, and we've mentioned recruiting briefly, but this is what this conversation will be about today is your recruiting class that you're able to put together, 14 names. I think nine of them are, are in-state kids. Just uh, how does it feel to have all of this done with the work that, that Coach Harvell 
Coach Marcuso, Coach Christie, and yourself have put in to kind of culminate with this big class? Yeah, well, it's been the absolute focal point of the majority of the time since we got that that decision came down on March, you know, mid-March um, about our season being canceled. I mean, it's been our basically our staff's sole focus. Um, we got a little bit of a head start that way um, just with the season being cut short and, and really just digging into the current roster that we had and trying to make decisions based on what we had seen um, in a 15-game in a, in a season and, you know, what we felt like the needs of our team would be and, and, and moving forward and, and trying to navigate um, not having the opportunity to get some of these guys on campus as well um, this fall, um, which is something, of course, everybody's dealing with across the country. But it took a lot of a lot of talented folks to, to help put this class together. I mean, start with my staff, um, just the, the incredible job they do on the recruiting front um, and – you know, the, the people with Huskers.com, I mean, our social media, our sports information, uh, just kind of getting some of those virtual tours out um, to th- these recruits that haven't seen campus. And, um, you know, and luckily we were able to have some of these guys uh, on, on campus for some camps uh, before all this stuff happened too. So it was a, it was a coordinated effort by a bunch of talented people, uh, you know, to, to help bring this class together. Coach, it's no secret – and, and you said this at your opening press conference that you believe firmly, wholeheartedly, that there are players within this state and in, in surrounding states that have the players that takes that w- takes to get us back to the you know competing in regionals, winning regionals, and maybe even making it to Omaha. Uh, I think nine of your 14 players are in-state guys. We've talked about this with you a lot uh, over the last year and a half, but. When, when you see a class that, that's like that and it, you're not just getting guys to get guys, but they're making up, you know, 80% of your class, what's that say, number one, about the, the talent in the state, number two, your recruiting philosophy, and number three, your staff's ability to get these guys to want to come play for the Huskers? Yeah, like you said, I mean, we, we made a, a real big emphasis on, on the in-state talent because I've seen it through the years just – uh, you know, starting as a player, and then when I first got into coaching as a volunteer assistant coach, I mean, our we had five big leaguers, you know, on that 2005 College World Series team, and our entire pitching rotation on the weekend was made of Nebraska kids. Um, and coming back here as, as an assistant in 12 through 14, um, you know, seeing the talent, how much better it was continuing to get, and then having a chance to coach some of those guys at A&M um, the five years I was in Texas, there was no doubt. I mean, the, the needle was pointing up um, here for high school baseball in Nebraska. And it, it's a, you know, we came into a bit of a unique situation too. I, I think num- nine is a pretty big number as far as division one, uh, you know, players that are going to fit the needs of your roster um, and really align with the backbone of the things that you're going to try to do as a program. Um, that that was it was huge to have those type of kids here in that 21 class and guys that there's some legacies in there uh, there's some guys that have grown up you know you know rooting on the Huskers their whole life and and they're friends they played against each other they played with each other they pushed each other um, you know through high school and and they they made the decision together I mean they once one domino started falling they they all kind of started recruiting each other 
and saying, hey, let's go to Nebraska. Let's let's get Nebraska back to the College World Series. Let's, uh, you know, let's do this thing together. So, you know, like you said, Jeff and Lance um, and Danny, just Danny getting guys into camp um, and helping get guys into camp was huge. And then Lance and, and Jeff just building those relationships quickly with the high school coaches um, in the state and, um, getting to know these kids right away, making them feel like they're a priority. Um, yeah, there's a there's a there's a deep talent pool, and, and the 2021 class is a perfect example of, of that. I don't think we have time, Coach, to go through each one of these guys. Uh, <laughs> that would take a while. But you mentioned the the legacy guys, and um, I mean, just start starting at the top. Drew Christo, of course, everybody knows his father. Monty was was a Husker football player. Uh, I mean, this is this is about as prototype as it gets. Six foot five, two thirty, great size, tremendous athleticism. Um, this is one that I, I know you guys are very excited about. When he committed, we can finally talk about him. Um, just what is it about him? And I guess one other point to him is you mentioned needs. This is a guy that that kind of circumvents needs. He's a guy you get regardless of what you have on your roster. What is it about Drew that makes him so special, and what he could potentially bring to the team? Yeah, aside from all of his physical um, attributes, which are well, there's obviously a ton of, of really uh, positive attributes there. I think just the first time I had a chance to watch him pitch, the, the thing that really stood out aside from his frame and his athleticism uh, and his ability to throw strikes at, at the time was I watched what he did when he wasn't pitching, um, when, it, when his teammates were at the plate, when they scored runs. Uh, you know, here's a kid who's been touted for a really long time in multiple sports. It's, you know, like you said, his, his dad was a, you know, football player and won, you know, multiple national championships. And, I, I, you know, I watched this kid go about his business in a way that said he, he had everything to prove. And, and he was all about his teammates and he was just super competitive. And those are the things that you kind of look for, um, and and things that maybe don't show up with a radar gun and the, the measurables is just that type of stuff. That that gave us a pretty good indication that that guy has a chance to, once he grows into his body, um, he's got kind of the it factor where he, he, he can step right in on campus right away, have a chance to pitch on the weekends and, and be kind of that – that workhorse type guy um, that, that, that you need. Um, you need, you'd like to sign one in every class. Sometimes they come around once every few years. And, um, you know, up to this point, Drew is, he's done nothing but um, answer the bell in every way. When people look at this class, Coach, there's another name that's going to look familiar, and that's Hood. Uh, C.J. Hood, his older brother Byron, was a, a four-year player here at Nebraska as well. This is this is a little bit different of, of, a, of a guy than, than Drew is, kind of a late bloomer. It sounds like he had a really good summer and really dedicated himself to – to becoming noticed and getting noticed. And you guys obviously took, took note of that, offered him, he, he committed. Tell us a little bit about CJ hood and, you know, his potential and kind of his rise to get to where he's at. Yeah. So CJ, um, you know, alluded to Byron, his, his older brother. So I was here as an assistant when we recruited Byron. So got to know the family through the process then, um, CJ was, he was really young at that time. Um, so he, he probably doesn't remember a ton about his older brother coming on visits and, and coming up to the ballpark. But uh, he's one that when we got here, 
came across some video of him. Uh, he was more of a hitter at the time, um, had that physicality to him, athleticism to him, um, you know, was really raw on the mound, had arm strength, but really hadn't pitched a whole lot. And um, he, he, like you said, he spent a lot of time during the pandemic um, when everybody was sheltering in place where he was, he was getting to work in the weight room uh, and he was, you know, really working on his craft in the bullpen and, and, and tweaking some things to, to help him gain velocity. I mean, he made a major jump. I'm talking seven, eight miles an hour over the course of three or four months. So he really came on. It was a no brainer for us. Once he really made that jump, I knew, I knew what his makeup was going to be like, just having known the family. He was an extremely hard worker, very athletic, uh, multi-sport athlete, which we love. Um, just checked all the boxes for us. And, again, another kid who, who's grown up bleeding Husker Red, and um, it didn't take him long to decide that this is where he wanted to be, even though he had a lot of other offers once he really started making his move. Uh, we feel very fortunate he chose to come to Nebraska. There's a lot of Husker kids on here. As I mentioned, we're not going to be able to go through through all of them. But, um, you know, to, to any Husker fans that have been following the program uh, since those those College World Series teams and those teams that were hosting regionals, they know that some of the best players in this program's history have, have been from north of the border, up in Canada. And you're, and you're going back up there and grabbing grabbing a Canadian yourself. Yeah, Cor Jackson, is a, he's a really good player. Um, you know, what you see sometimes in – and Canadians, as they might be a little bit raw, a little bit further behind because they uh, of the weather, uh, and maybe they don't play um, the best competition. But Core uh, is one we, you know, we tapped into one of our, um, you know, one of ours, and Adam Stern, my old roommate mm-hmm. in college. Um, you know, he has a facility up there. He has a team um, that he runs, and he's never steered me in the wrong direction on a player. And he said, Hey, you know, core can really play. He's a shortstop. He's a left-handed hitter. He can run. Uh, if he doesn't end up playing short, he can play anywhere on the field. He's been a Canadian junior national team guy. So he's played against the best. Um, yeah. It's just, I think again, when you start looking at the, the makeup of this recruiting class, it's eerily similar uh, to the recruiting class that I was signed to, um, you know, which was their coach Van Horn, Van uh, Childress and Anderson's first recruiting class where you've got, you know, they tap into some Texas ties, um, Canadians uh, with Stern and Cole, and then bringing in a Hawaiian um, with Shane Kumine. I mean, it's just, yeah. it's, it's eerily similar to kind of look at the, the makeup. And, and, you know, we didn't necessarily intend for it to work out perfectly that way, but believe me when I say that the blueprint that, that we saw that's worked here before we were going to be all out uh, to make sure that, that we, you know, tried our best to, to keep that blueprint going. Absolutely. Coach Bolt, before we let you go, let's get one, one thought on fall balls, able to go see you guys a couple of times. And man, I mean, it's, it, again, I hate to just keep pounding on the newcomers, but there's a lot of guys that stuck out that I hadn't seen play before. Bryce Matthews, Max Anderson, Luke Sartori. I mean, the, the Everett. I mean, there was a lot of guys that I had never seen before. I'm like, dang, these guys are going to help us. What did you make of some of these young guys, uh, you know, in their first college baseball action, how they held up and, you know, really what, what you're, what you think of them as players and how they may help. Yeah. There's a lot of guys, um, you know, we, we brought in a, a pretty good class of, of new players and uh, some transfers. I think we've got several j- junior college transfers that are going to help on the mound. Um, we, we've got, 
Um, you know, the grad transfer and Chance Roach had an exceptional fall, and you, you kind of start to see why he's been an All-American before uh, in the past. And, and, and some of these other guys that a little bit up and down, maybe a little bit more for some of the junior college hitters and position players. Um, but you can see the talents there. Um, it was good to see them kind of have to overcome some adversity throughout the fall because they're, they're facing some good arms um, th- this fall with velocity stuff and, and guys that can command multiple pitches. So uh, good to see some guys uh, step up. Um, I, I think – really where they stood out more than anything was defensively. Um, I was really impressed to see some young infielders um, come right in with no fear um, and really take care of the baseball at a really high level on the infield, um, which is something you usually see in the fall. Guys really struggle on the infield, especially to catch up to the speed of the college game. And we had some young infielders that – uh, showed no fear that way and showed a, a high level of athleticism and um, just very good fundamentals. So uh, excited about what we have. We've got a long way to go, but um, the future sure does look bright. Absolutely. Big time of the year coming up here in the winter. Get bigger, stra- faster, stronger uh, for what we hope is a, a full season here coming up in the spring. Coach Will Bolt with us here on Sports Nightly. Coach, congratulations on a great class. Job well done. I know it doesn't ever really stop, but take a breath. Enjoy the work that you and your staff were able to do with this class and, and get after the off season, man. Can't wait to talk to you in February. All right. You bet, you bet Ben. Appreciate it. Tonight, it's the Nebraska Football Show, right here on the Husker Sports Network. Ramsey gets the snap, looks, holds, sets, throws, pass picked off, intercepted by Miles Farmer, racing down the near sideline, 10, 5, bumped out of bounds by Ramsey, inside the 10-yard line, Miles Farmer's second INT of the game, and the Huskers in the red zone with a chance to grab the lead. Oh, baby. A weekly look inside the Cornhusker football program. Wandale in motion, they turn, give it off to Mills, he picks his way to the one, he Leans, he is in there. Touchdown, Nebraska. Mills gets it, his second touchdown of the season, and Nebraska has a lead here on the road. With the head coach, Scott Frost. Ramsey quickly lines him up. Gets a snap. Looking to throw. Husker send a blitz. He's hit, and it's fumbled. The ball's out, and I think Ramsey got it back at the 25-yard line. He got tomahawk by Luke Reimer, and the ball was laying there for a moment, but Ramsey able to roll over and jump on the football at the 25. Wow. Proudly brought to you by Channel. Channel Seedsman plays products to perform across Nebraska. Get expert advice that yields results at channel.com. Now here's the host of the Nebraska Football Show, the voice of the Huskers, Greg Sharp. Thank you. Welcome to our football hour. Huskers getting geared up for their first home game of the year against the Penn State Nittany Lions. It'll be an 11 o'clock kickoff. Pre-game coverage begins 6 a.m. with the opening drive. Jeremiah Searles will join me for that. Oscar game day will follow with Ben McLaughlin and Brendan Stye. These two proud programs have gotten off to a tough start. Penn State 0-3, losing games to Indiana, Ohio State, and Maryland. Nebraska 0-2, losses to Ohio State. And last week's tough one to Northwestern, 21-13, the final in that game where when you look at a lot of the statistical categories, it bent toward Nebraska. The Huskers doubled up the Cats in first downs, 28-14. to 14. Total offense in the game, Nebraska ended up with 442 yards to 317 for the Wildcats. Uh, but yet the final score is all that really matters, and it was a 21-13 Wildcat win. Nebraska did force a couple of turnovers to Miles Farmer 
interceptions, but Nebraska threw two interceptions, both in the end zone, which thwarted drives where Nebraska was making uh, strides to get the, the ball down the field and get points on the board. The red zone was certainly a problem for Nebraska over the weekend against the Cats. Nebraska in the red zone six times, only managed one touchdown, got a couple of field goals, so they were three of six, 50% inside the red zone. But, boy, six times in the red zone, only come away with 13 points, kind of tough to do, but that's what will get you beat against a quality team like Northwestern. Be an interesting matchup mentally between these two teams. Who, who, uh, who wants it more? I think will be part of it on Saturday. When you're off to an 0-3 star like Penn State, you have five regular season games left. You're not going to win your division, which is certainly one of their preseason goals because they lost a head-to-head matchup with Wisconsin. Huskers also have dug a hole to being 0-2, and that's why the Northwestern game was so big last week for Nebraska. But you kind of feel like Nebraska's close with the way they played Northwestern last week. They could get a victory at home this week. You got back-to-back home games with Penn State and Illinois, the next two games up on the schedule for the Big Red, followed by that Black Friday game against the Iowa Hawkeyes. A chance to kind of correct it, get it back to even, but you got to start with a victory, and Penn State's the first one up on the schedule for Nebraska. Here are the numbers if you want to be a part of the program tonight, 531-500-4686. You can call or shoot us a text on our U.S. Cellular text line, proud to be the official wireless sponsor of the Huskers, U.S. Cellular connecting Husker Nation. Nebraska and Penn State have not met since 2017. These are two of college football's winningest programs. Both teams, uh, both programs have over 900 career wins in the college football ranks. Uh, So these are two of the top six programs in the country as far as all-time victories. Nebraska, though, has not been able to play Penn State since 2017 after playing the Nittany Lions every year for the first four years that Nebraska was in the league because they were the mandated crossover game before Maryland and Rutgers joined the league. And then the scheduling was divvied up differently. It's only the second trip to Lincoln for the the Lions uh, since Nebraska joined the Big Ten Conference. And so uh, not many not many trips here. First time for James Franklin to bring a team in here as the last time the Penn State Nittany Lions came to Lincoln, Bill O'Brien was the head coach of Penn State. So James Franklin's Lions will be here for, again, a Saturday 11 a.m. kickoff coming up on uh, here on the Husker Sports Network with a 6 a.m. start time. We welcome now the head coach of the Cornhuskers. I know you were really disappointed after the game. How has, how has the team competed and rallied this week to get ready for another game? They competed and, and rallied well. Uh, they came back to work. They're, they're kind of like we were. You know, we were so disappointed uh, that we didn't find a way to win that one. That one felt different than some of the other ones the last couple of years where we kept ourselves in the game, but we're probably outmanned a little bit. That one, uh, we felt like we had a good enough team to win, and and could have or should have won it. Um, but I, I think the team's a lot like feeling like I am, that just absolutely devastated we didn't win that one. We're also really encouraged by the, the progress. And uh, the kids know it's inevitable that it's going to show up on the scoreboard in the win column sooner or later. The the red zone, I know, has you, you were asked about it earlier in the week, and I'm sure you guys, your coaches, have broken this thing down every which way to Sunday. But what 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 are you seeing? What, what's what's been the problems down in the red zone for this team? 
Well, well, being frank, we got to generate some more big plays. Uh, you know, the Big Ten has good defenses, and it's just hard to it's hard to sustain 14 play drives without making a mistake and getting down there. And, and when you have to do that, you have to play really clean. And um, we just made a mistake on three or four of those drives that that should have led to points. And, and two of them were turnovers, and uh, and another one where uh, just one more block here or there that was missed. Another one where. Uh, we changed the, the scheme and the play on the field and on a first and goal at the two, and that led to a negative play and put us in bad position. And uh, that, that's got to get a lot better, but that, that just kind of goes along with the big big picture of executing a little better and, and not doing things to beat ourselves. And, and we'll continue to, to try to find ways to generate some, some bigger plays so we can score from farther out. Both of your coordinators said on Tuesday that this has kind of been an open competition week, that – you know, you want guys to push guys, and if somebody else can do a better job, they're, they're going to get the, the snaps during the game. Uh, how, how has that gone this week? Have you noticed the guys ramping up the competition in practice? Yeah, I, I have. Um, and that's healthy. You know, that's the way it should be. And, um, you know, going backwards a little while, we haven't had good enough depth or talent to challenge some of the starters in certain positions. And now we are in a position where it, at least in some positions we have multiple guys that uh, we feel great about going in and playing and um, that you know that's that's fair and that's how it should work to play the the best player at each position and e- even if guys aren't aren't starting they're still going to play a lot because they've earned it but um, I want guys to understand that practice means something and they're going out and uh, and earning their spot every time they're on the practice field. Let's go to our text line. Ray is asking, Coach, what can you do to help eliminate the penalties? <laughs> well, we uh, implemented something I never thought I'd have to this week. We, that, that was our big focus all last week was we, we can have fun and be out there on the field, but when it's time to move, do my job, I need to lock in and do my job so we eliminate some of the, some of the you know, fixable penalties that have been costing us a little bit and uh, defensively, I thought we did a good job of that. I think we only had one penalty for five yards on defense. Uh, still a few too many drives where we're starting first and 15 because we jump off sides, uh, get a holding penalty, and kill a drive. Uh, so this week, we, if anybody got a penalty this week, they immediately had to leave the practice field, uh, practicing with their guys and run a lap around the field. And, and we just added a little more consequence to some of those simple mistakes to make sure guys – focus even more and, and try to lock in that much more very good all right back to our text line chad down in kansas says coach i think you're doing a great job not sure if anybody can really answer this but what's been the problem in the screen game it seems like husker teams have really struggled with that in recent years uh since you hit those two bubble screens against ku in 96 bubble screens against ku in 96 um, i don't remember those don't know, we had way. a I know, I, you know, I, I remember the 96 KU game. I think uh, it was really windy, and somehow, despite having a quarterback couldn't throw very well, I think we threw for almost 300. Um, <laughs> that, that's about all I remember of that game. But, you know, we had a couple screens set up Saturday. One got tipped. Um, you know, those come down to timing and getting the offensive lineman to, to block a moving target in space. And, um We've been close on a couple. We've hit a couple uh, in the last few years, but um, you know, also it's a it's a function of you know our, our pass game has to be 
executing at a rate that they feel like they have to get to our passer and rush our passer. Sometimes our zone read game and our quarterback's ability to run uh, slows down the pass rush a little bit and, and hit good screens. Those guys uh, on the defensive line have to be getting up too. Marvin Scott got his first action as a Cornhusker last week. Boy, is he impressive-looking young athlete. What would you think of Marvin, and what, what's, how has he caught your guys' attention? Yeah, he's got a bright future. Um, I think early on he was learning. He's just like every freshman, learning the scheme, but also learning how to practice, how to be at full speed. Um, he really has kept coming on and coming on. Uh, well, he gets the ball in practice, he's at full speed, and, and that really catches your eye. And I thought he did the same thing in the game Saturday. Buckle up, put the phone down. A reminder from the NDOT Highway Safety Office. Back to our text line. Wyatt and Alma says, can we see Wandale getting any touches out of the backfield soon? Yeah, I'd say that's very possible. Um, you know, we, we have, we've had a lot of things designed for Wandale, and the ball just hasn't found him in the first couple of weeks, and we need to do a better job as coaches, and it, it, we're going to do whatever it takes to get him the rock. Do you notice our, our defense is shading him a little bit? I mean, he's the known commodity that you have on the outside. Have you noticed some defenses gearing up some of their plan to, to, to defend number one? Well, I think so. You know, Ohio State put their best corner on him a lot. Um, you know, it's also a function of us being able to stretch the field on the on the outside a little better to create the, the spots in the zone underneath for Wandale. And uh, he, he was he was hampered with a little bit of a foot sprain last week too, and um, you know just hasn't all quite come together. But we know what we have in him, and I expect him to have some big games going forward. You, you mentioned you touched on the defense earlier. That certainly seems like it's been a bright spot through two games. What have you noticed over there, and what what are they doing well in your eyes? I, I think it starts with effort, Greg. They they uh, grade the guys every week on assignment, but also on effort. And you don't want to get a loaf on defense. Uh, I think we only could pick out about four plays on defense in the last game where where guys weren't playing at the, at the level that we expected to from an effort standpoint. And it all starts with that. You know, defense is about half of it is attitude and hustle. And uh, I, I think that's really improved. And I think the overall speed of our defense is better. Luke Reimer led you in tackles with 10. He had the one sack for the, for the defense on Saturday. And some of his teammates on Monday were asked about Luke, and they said, well, this is what we've seen from him in practice the last couple of years. He's a pretty good story, isn't he? I mean, you, you bring him in as a walk-on, and he works his tail off and becomes a scholarship. Those are the kind of those are the kind of stories you hope to get more of, I would guess. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, I'm proud of the walk-on tradition in Nebraska. know a lot about it. Um, we've had, just in my time in Nebraska, we've had 19 different walk-ons that have earned scholarships either for a semester or, or for the rest of their uh, time at Nebraska, and, and that's what the walk-on program's all about. And, and you know, I question myself a little inability to uh, judge recruits that we didn't scholarship him uh, out of high school because it, it was uh, absolutely no-brainer once he got to campus. What we had in in Luke, and I'm glad people are getting a chance to see it. You had to play the first half last week without Deontay and Cam in that secondary, so a lot of snaps went to to Miles Farmer. And, and Quentin Newsom, Miles obviously had the two interceptions for you. How did they grade out when you went back and looked at the tape? They graded out really well. Um, and, again, that 
that's something that's really encouraging right now is the number of, of young guys that are stepping up and, and showing us things that make us believe that they're going to be really good players for us for a long time. Uh, you've already mentioned Reimer. I thought Ty Robinson played a lot better than he did in, in game one. Uh, the two guys in the secondary, you know, some of the receivers starting to step up, Marvin Scott, some of the young offensive linemen. Um, we've needed those guys to come along. And it's a shame we didn't get a, a preseason and some non-conference games to get those guys even more reps. Because um, I think a lot of the things that we're sorting out right now would have gotten sorted out earlier in the year. But uh, I am really encouraged by the progress of a lot of those guys. Head coach with us until the top of the hour. Let's go to the phones. Matt in Lincoln, you're up next. Matt, go ahead. Hello? We can, yeah. yes. Okay, uh, Coach, wanted to uh, ask you a little bit about watching McKenzie Milton in his second year and then watching Adrian in his second year and a couple games in his third year. Uh, you know, when I watch McKenzie, I see, I see calm feet and I see a really quick trigger. Um, and I, I see – I don't necessarily see the, the calm feet. And I see a little bit of a maybe an elbow hitch uh, or something in, in Adrian's delivery that might – might be a bit different. Can you talk about that a little bit? And then also, how's McKenzie doing after his after his injury? Have you have you followed up with him? Do you stay in touch? Thank you. Yeah, I'll, I'll start with McKenzie. Uh, you, you develop such a bond with the guys you coach, and particularly particularly the quarterbacks and guys that I spend a lot of time with. And uh, McKenzie is a special guy to me. Um, he's doing well. I think he's practicing from the last I talked to him. Um, wants to be a coach, and uh, we've talked a lot that when he's ready to be a coach, he's he's going to come and help uh, help us in Nebraska. I think, uh, and he'll he'll certainly have the opportunity to if he wants to. Uh, he's just the type of guy you want around because of who he is and the energy he brings. Um, no, you know some of the things you said. Uh, you know, I'm, Adrian has done so many good things and sacrificed so much for this program. But the one thing you mentioned that I do agree with is the quick trigger. Uh, and, that, and that's one thing we've talked to Adrian about a little bit and, and all the quarterbacks, not just him, but in this offense, all, all the decisions have to be made so quickly and the ball has to be out fast. And uh, there's just been a little too much hesitation at times. Um, and, and, you know, that hasn't all been the quarterback's fault. I've said that a lot in the, in the, off season, but you know we need to be in the right places for them. We need to protect for them. We need to make things a little easier on them um, because we want those guys making quick decisions, getting the ball out on time where it's supposed to go, making quick decisions in the run game. Uh, and if there's something we need to improve on uh, with all the quarterbacks right now, it's just making those split second decisions and uh, trying to be as, as efficient as we can with them, and maybe getting the ball out of our hand a little faster in some circumstances. Matt, appreciate the call, 531-500-4686, the number if you want to call or shoot us a text. Back to our text line, Randy and Clarkson coach says, with the COVID test limit set by the Big Ten for players and staff, have you found a way to get more walk-on players into practice and get them some reps? Yeah, we, we get a lot of practice and reps in practice every day. So we're getting a lot of guys that get practice. Once we hit season, um, a lot of those reps for young guys are on scout teams, but uh, you know I served my my sentence on scout team at Nebraska in 1995 uh, against a really good defense and got beat around and and learned a lot and it made me better and tougher and and a lot of times that's the necessary step in the progression for people. Uh, but 
we, we got a lot of young guys that are getting reps and we kind of take pride in the way we practice with, with tempo and split groups. So we get a lot of different guys reps and, and develop guys from the bottom of the roster to the top. Our football radio show brought to you in part by Midwest Ford dealers. Visit them at buyfordnow.com. Huskers set to take on Penn State Saturday at 11 a.m. What about the home routine? Is it different at all this year in the era of COVID, or are you going to try to keep it as close to normal as possible? Well, we'll try to keep it as close to normal as we can. There's a few things that are different. Obviously, the testing is different. Um, we can't have quite as many guys on the sideline. The guys that aren't staying at the hotel that are going to be on the sideline are going to have to come to the hotel to do the mandatory testing. Uh, so, you know, there's some there's some uh, tricks to this, and it's going to be a little different, but I, I think it's going to be really comfortable and familiar for our guys to be back in the hotel and back at home. Good. All right, back to the phones we go. Let's head up to Omaha. Howard, you're up next with the head coach. Good evening. Good evening, uh, Coach Frost, and to the staff and the team. Keep on fighting, and you're going to own that scoreboard very soon uh, each week, Coach Frost. I have no doubts about that. My question regarding with the running game, how are you feeling about the development of, of the room, the younger kids, the veterans, and have you thought about some formations like Power Eye and Eye that can maybe give a defense a different look, uh, whether you run the ball or pass the ball, I'll hang up and get your thoughts and go Big Red. Uh, I, I feel good about where we are. Uh, you know, when we're going to be a really good team is when we can line up and, and run at people and they might know what what's coming and we still get yards. And, and that's the teams that run it well, that's what they do. Uh, you can hang your head on your basic run plays, trust them to get yards, and you don't have to scheme a bunch of crazy things up to get yards uh you're just good at blocking them you're, you're good at running and getting tough yards um as far as the eye formation we've been in it a little i always have a hunger to go back and do some of the things that that we did in nebraska when when i was playing here we ran some trap against uh ohio state uh some option um we keep working on on those things but it, you know it, as we're building this thing for the long haul um, I want our players to be extremely efficient at, at our base concepts. And um, when we try to do too much without uh, mastering those things, I think that's when you, you're good at a lot of things but not great at any. Um, so uh, we'll keep uh, pushing the envelope as far as scheme. And, uh, you know, like I said, I always have an affinity for the option game and the and eye formation and things we did when I was at Nebraska. But, um, I'm pleased with our development in, in our basic concepts, and, and we'll keep working on that. Howard asked about your running back room. I'll, I'll ask about your wide receiving room. What, what, what progress are you seeing with that group? you got a lot of young, inexperienced guys in that room. We do. That's just an interesting room, and it has been since I got to Nebraska. Uh, we were lucky to inherit Stanley Morgan, who I couldn't, can't say enough uh, good things about. Uh, obviously, J.D. made a lot of plays for us for a couple of years. Um, but I've said this uh, quite a bit. I think when we got to Nebraska, we had, four, I think, four scholarship receivers. Uh, we're supposed to carry about 11. And it's been a process to get that uh, position room right. Um, uh, we, we feel like, uh, man, we're lucky to have some of the veterans we have in Levi Falk, uh, Cade Warner especially, and what he brings to the team on and off the field. Um, those guys know everything and, and are capable of playing and doing a good job. Uh, and then we got 
I think the right guys in that room now to to bring a lot more talent to our offense. And just those guys are all young and new to the program Um, for a lot of reasons, some in their control and some out of their control. Um, They weren't around as much uh, in the summer or healthy as much in the summer and missed some time, all of them. And, uh, you know, we're in the process of getting those type of guys up and capable of of playing more plays all the time. And I, I think some of those guys bring some speed and some, some other traits that are going to help us uh, get over the top and be the type of team that we want to be. But uh, um, we're working every day to try to get those guys ready and um, think we got the talent in that room to be who we want to be now. It's just a matter of uh, refining it and developing it. I'm going to have some fun with this question. Saturday's matchup with Nebraska and Penn State. Nebraska's seventh all-time in, in wins in college football, 902. Penn State's about ready to join the 900 club. You talk about two iconic uniforms. You were at Oregon where it was a lot of different style of uniforms from week to week to week. Penn State coach doesn't even put names on the back of their uniforms. What about the, the tradition of Penn State and having pretty bland, but you know who they are when you turn on the TV and see that that's who's playing? What do you think about that? Yeah, I'm a traditionalist. I, you know, there's there's some places where I think it's great to be in something new every week. It's one of the places where uh, the uniform is iconic, and I think ours is one of those, and theirs is one of those, and um, we certainly aren't going to be afraid to change it up once in a while, but that that end on the side of the helmet means a lot to to me and a lot, all the guys that came before us. You, I don't think, played against them when you were in school, but boy, there have been some iconic matchups going back into the '80s. And was the guy out of bounds on a catch and a Turner Gill led team? I mean, Coach Osborne probably could tell a bunch of stories about some big time matchups with Penn State down through the years. Absolutely, I remember them when I was young. The, the field that they drew with a pull out of the back of the end zone that they put on the sideline and the games that uh, Nebraska and Penn State's played and um, also ran into a lot of guys when I was in the NFL from 94 team, Kyle Brady and and others that uh, split, uh, didn't get the national championship in 94 and Nebraska got it and we had some arguments about that but got a lot of respect for their program and, and what they've done over the years. All right, so tomorrow's Fast Friday. Um What's that? What's that practice like for your team? Let let the folks in on a little bit of what Fast Friday is. Well, you know, going back a long time, football teams usually practice on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, kind of let their team recover on Friday, and then go out and play on Saturday. And um, scientifically, you know, track and field is usually the leader in uh, the science behind performance. And uh, we started when I was at Oregon. Uh, having Thursday be a walkthrough instead of Friday and having Friday uh, ramp ramp your neuromuscular system back up so that your body's not in recovery mode but uh, more on the way back up so that you're ready to play. Um, so we've kind of flipped Thursday and Friday. Thursday's a lot easier. Uh, Friday's short but really intense. All the guys uh, do some sprinting and full speed things on Friday, and uh, we feel like that puts our, our – players uh physically in the right position to play on saturday all right you're leaving the hotel saturday morning pulling up to the stadium it's gonna it's got to be odd to not see all those fans ready to greet the team and the bus as you make that walk around the the northeast corner of the stadium into your locker room facility it's gonna be odd isn't it on saturday yeah i mean i don't have to tell anybody listening to this it's just been a strange year um 
a lot of weird things happening this year, things you never thought you'd encounter. Um, it's been a, a tough year. It's been a tough year on me personally. Um, and it, it's just going to be so strange to walk into that stadium with, with nobody there. we got some cardboard cutouts, but they I've been in there a few times for practices, and they haven't said anything yet. Uh, so we'll see if they can bring any noise on Saturday. All right. Thanks for being with us tonight. Best of luck. Let's get this thing turning and get it rolling in the right direction on Saturday. Absolutely. It's time. It's time for face-off. Let's go. Mano a mano. You, me, right here. Right now. Now, here are your hosts, Josh Hilkeman and Ben McLaughlin. Here we are. That's right. It's Ben and myself hosting for the first time a brand new matchup, Greg versus Austin. Austin took me down. Uh, it was a clean sweep, two straight. And then it took a little bit more of an effort to uh, uh, vanquish Tim. Uh, Tim put up a good fight, but Austin was the victor in the end. So he is now undefeated against the producers and has the opportunity to take on Greg. Now, I, I, I'll ask this. So is... If Greg, if he beats you, then is he going on to Ben to take yeah. on the champion? Is that the, the yeah. plan? We'll, we'll throw Ben into the ring next. Okay, got it. Ben's I, been on the sidelines for a long time. Been a while. It's I'll, been a long off season. Well, I was going to say, you've been on the sideline for a while, Greg. How do you think that's going to factor in tonight? Austin yeah. is, is fresh. You've yeah. been, been sitting Rusty. out for a while. Rusty probably won't have the trigger finger. Uh, well, have you had? Uh, have you been trying to brush up? Have you had your family asking you questions? No. Like, no. Okay. No. No. Austin all night tonight has been like just <laughs> pestering me to give him trivia questions, and so I've I've tried to help him out a little bit, but I'm I'm trying to stay somewhat neutral. Like I don't want to give him too much practice, but well, we had a we had a problem, Josh, the last couple of weeks because. Tim would buzz in, but then not have an answer, yeah. and he would stall. He'd sit there and think about it. Well, okay. <laughs> we implemented the three-second rule. And see, that's smart because that, that's the way the family feud works, which is what this game is based off of. So makes sense. And it, it is a strategy because if you buzz in quickly and you get that first answer right, then you kind of have control of that question. So makes sense. I like that updated rule. Well, if you guys are ready, let's let's jump in here, um, and I'll go first. Ben and I asking the questions again to Greg and Austin. You both know how the game works. Question number one: Name the four most recent coaches for Penn State football, including interim. Greg. Greg in first. Bill O'Brien. Show me Bill O'Brien. I'll play. All right. James Franklin. How about James Franklin? Of course. He is the present coach. He's been coached since 2014, Bill O'Brien, 2012 to 2014. Joe Paterno. <laughs> Give me Joe Paterno. Yeah, Joe Pa, you're three for three. One to go. Now the interim guy. Yeah, can you remember his name? Ugh. And if you can't on three strikes, can Austin? So many questions involved. <laughs> Um, Turno had a son on that staff, I think. I can't think of his first name, though. I mean, you could try three different names and see if it works out. <laughs> How about Pat Paterno? Show me Pat Paterno. No, um, not Pat. Not Pat. Larry Johnson. 
Give me Larry Johnson. Good game. Yes. The defensive line Old coach? Old running back? Yeah. No, uh, no, 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 the no, defensive no, no. line coach. He was a defensive line coach. Yeah, he's – He was. One, I remember him – he was like one of the best recruiters in the yeah, country. Yeah, now he's at Ohio State. Mm-hmm. Correct. So that's a good guess, but he was not the interim guy. Yeah. Don't know. Just buzz me. All right. Austin, over to you. Can you steal this one? Do you know the name? <laughs> By the way, Larry Johnson was also a Penn State great running back, so I didn't Yeah, he was. He was. It, You're right. Was it his son? It might have been his son. No, no. It wasn't? Uh, well, no, maybe it I was. Think, I don't know. I don't know. That's Because Larry Johnson, the Chiefs, Chiefs guy, yeah. right? Yeah. 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 I, I, uh, do we have to go back to this question? I don't think I know. How about <laughs> John Paterno? <laughs> Give me John Paterno for the steal. Was it the redheaded guy? No, it was not. That was uh, Mike McQuarrie. Mike McQuarrie. Jay Paterno was his name. Jay. But that was not it. It was Tom Tom Bradley was the interim coach in 2011 after. Yeah, I think he was their defensive coordinator. Yep. I think. Dang it. Did not even know Tom Bradley existed, so hot start. (laughs) Greg got one oh. You probably could have figured that there was a Tom Bradley someplace in the universe with that name. I can't imagine it's too <laughs> too crazy. Had I thought about it too much, maybe. But. <laughs> All right, boys. Clean slate. Here we go. Question number two. Name the last five NBA first overall draft picks. Austin. <laughs> Not all at once, Austin. Go ahead. <laughs> Zion. <laughs> Do we have Zion? I, I, of course you get the Duke guy. Yeah. I will play it. All right. All right. Let me think here. Last five. We have okay, five years. So 19, 18, 17, 16, 15. Uh, Markel Fultz. Do we have Markel Fultz? <laughs> yep, 76ers. All right. Um, 2017 for right. Yeah. Ben Simmons. Give me Ben Simmons. Also Philadelphia, 2016. Yeah, just the year right. before. Okay. Um, got three of the five. DeAndre Ayton. How about DeAndre Ayton? Yeah. Phoenix two years ago, 2018. Right. So, and you got one left. You're writing down on a roll. Yeah, you're trying to do the math here and figure out which year you're missing. Right. Well, the year is 2015. Can neither confirm nor deny that. But I'm confirming it myself <laughs> since you don't have to. Um. If I were you, I would abstain from any paterno guesses. On this <laughs> yeah. one. I, I don't think it's Tom Bradley either. <laughs> If I can throw that out there, cross it off your list, Greg. Um, wow, you're helping out the opponent. That's <laughs> gesture of goodwill. Carl Anthony Towns. How about Carl Anthony Towns? A clean sweep. Wow. Didn't even get a strike. Let's go, Austin. <laughs> that was impressive. Uh, the only reason I took it back to 2015, I was going to stop at Simmons, but it was a T Wolves pick in 15, right. and much like it's a T Wolves yeah. pick this year. So. Good Had stuff. to keep the fifth one, and he got it. Good stuff. All right, tied at one. We go over to another topic here. Name the six golfers to win at least three Masters since 1970. Greg. Greg in first. Eldrick Woods. 
Show me Tiger. <laughs> yeah. He has five, so at least three since 1970. All right, I'll play. Okay. Jack Nicholas. How about Jack? Yep, six. He has the most, so you got in one and two. Six and five total. How many more do I need? You four need four, more. yeah. So we cut off. Uh, there, there are a number of others that have three, at least three, but we cut it off at the year 1970 and more recent, just so you weren't having to name nine guys. Okay. Uh, Phil Mickelson. How about Phil? Yep, lefty is on there. He has exactly three, so he's one of those that's tied in there. Since 1970. Correct, three, yes. Three that's, masters. Yep. Ooh. Now it gets hard. Right. These are all names that I've heard of, though, so it's not like – and I'm not the biggest golf fan, so it's it's not crazy. Ben Crenshaw. How about Ben Crenshaw? Oh. Nope, he's not on that list. It's one strike. You've got three of the six needed and one strike. Nick Faldo? Give me Nick Faldo. Yeah. Sure, Nick Faldo. Now, Austin is mad over there. I think that's one that he had. If I had to <laughs> or guess. the Colts did something bad. Austin, is this oh, that could be you having to do this while the Colts are playing? Um, <laughs> I, I like it when Greg's answering so I can pay enough attention, but also watch Michael Pittman Jr. have his longest catch of the year. <laughs> there you go. Was the reaction to Greg getting that one right, or was it to the Colts game? No comment. Okay. <laughs> Three. Crenshaw, I think, only won two, so that's why he wasn't on there, I guess. Yeah. So you got uh, two left and one strike. God, three's a bunch. It um, is. That's impressive to win three of one major, especially yeah. the prestigious Masters. So you've got Jack, Nicholas, Tiger Woods, Nick Faldo, and Phil um, Nicholson. Give me Seve Ballesteros. I have never heard of him, <laughs> so that would eliminate him from the list. I Seve is not on there. I am also not on this list. I checked it. And ben Ben has not won the Masters three times since 1970. Hmm. Before 1970, we're not sure, but yeah, we haven't done the math yet on that. Having our fact checkers look at that. Yeah, see, since 70, probably eliminates Palmer and Gary Player. They wouldn't have won three, I don't think, since 70. They would have won some before that. So it wins before. I was going to say it doesn't have to all. It doesn't all have to be. Oh, since 1970. Correct. There has to be. Yeah, they have to have at least some of their wins since 1970. Give me Arnold Palmer. How about the name of a a drink? Arnold Palmer. Yeah, he's on there. He has four. Austin's mad that Jonathan Taylor just got a three-yard run instead of a 30-yard run. Yeah. How many more do I have left? You yeah. just have one, Gosh, just two, one, just and one. and you have two strikes on you. So be careful here. You've got one left and one strike to go. All right, give me Gary Player. Show me Gary Player for the win. The category, yep, you got it. That clarification helps, and uh, yeah, you finish it, it off. I was thinking since seventy, I'm right? Like, I don't yeah, know what yeah. One is I, in the and I probably sh- should have clarified that in the initial question, but you persevered through that and got it anyway. All right, here we go. Uh, Going to start with the uh, 
with the clause here. So no duplicate names on this question, okay? No duplicates, okay. Name the four NFL rushers who have the most rushing yards in a game this season. Austin. Ooh, Austin, Austin first. Delvin Cook. Yes, is it the uh, the proud member of the Saucy Nugs? Yes, absolutely. Two oh six for Dalvin last week against Detroit. All right. Um, Derrick Henry had 212 yards in a game. So is he one of the guys who has the most rushing yards with those 212 yards? Yes. Yes. Against Houston. We just talked about this on Sports Nightly. So if you're paying attention on Sports Nightly, you got a little bit of a lift. That is the best game so far that it by is. a running back. All right. Now, I believe there are two options for this game against the Cowboys. I forget which was which, but I'll start with Kareem Hunt. Is Kareem Hunt on the list? He is not. Um, One strike. Let me think. Two down, two to go. Was it the other Cleveland Brown, Nick Chubb? Show me Nick Chubb. It was not him, no. Well, I don't like this. Yeah, you, you started off hot, got your first two. You said Dalvin Cook and Derrick Henry. Those are both right. I remember they rushed the, the Browns rushed about a billion yards against yeah. Dallas in that game, but I guess it wasn't Apparently one guy. not enough to be on this list. Apparently not. For one of the guys, at least. Um, Let me think. Don't think too long. Well, no. I have a we're couple not, guys in mind, but i got to make it count. We're not Tim quick on the trigger here, but... Well, we'd we also, have been buzzed out by now. Oh, Greg. yeah. <laughs> Greg, would be, Greg would be probably buzzed by now. Yeah. Um, Aaron Jones. Show me Aaron Jones. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Good Aaron goal. Jones, 168, also against the Detroit Lions. <laughs> Detroit taking a beating. <laughs> All right, so now you just have one answer left, Austin, with one strike left. So one strike to get, yeah. And you're you're trailing here two to one against Greg. So you you really this is a heavyweight fight. We're just going blow for blow here. See I if am. Austin can land an uppercut here. I uh, I'm afraid Greg has an answer in mind here. If I don't get this one right, um, I'm sure he does. But is it the right answer? That's also something you need to factor in. Question. Let me. Go with Alvin Kamara. Show me Alvin Kamara. Sorry, that is incorrect. That's three strikes over to Greg for the right. steal attempt. Can you read the question again? Go no. for it, Ben. Yeah. Name the four NFL rushers who have the most rushing yards in a game this season, not counting duplicates. So, for example, okay. Dalvin Cook and Derrick Henry would both have the top performances, right? But right. we're not. So that would be cheating if you said their names again. Yeah. Okay. It would be it would be a buzzer. Yeah. All according right. To this Tim. is a bit of a stretch, but I feel like McCaffrey had a big game before he got hurt the first time. So give me Christian McCaffrey. Show me Christian McCaffrey for the steal. Oh, oh sorry. That last answer was Kenyon Drake. He had 164 oh. against Dallas. Ripped yeah, off like a 60-yarder in garbage time. Good guesses by both of you on Kamara yeah. and McCaffrey. The problem with those two, so many of their yards are receiving, not yeah, rushing. Right. Even if they have big games, they're. All right, we move on to question five. We're tied at two apiece. Great game so far. Question number five, this is from, uh, based on some news coming out a little bit earlier in the week. Name the last four Super Bowl halftime acts. 
Greg. <laughs> Greg and <laughs> strong. Jennifer Lopez. <laughs> Show me Jennifer Lopez. Well, it was technically a, a Shakira and Jennifer Lopez, but we'll we'll give you that one. That's, that's well, good she enough. was the headliner. Shakira yes. came out later. Yep. Yeah, 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 she did. Uh, I'll, I'll play. <laughs> I was that a touchdown, so by the way, for Hines. That, he was down at the one. I need nope, JT to stretched. get a one-yard touchdown. He made no. it. Nope. Touchdown. That's, that's my guy. Hines is my guy. Um, all right. Give me uh, Beyonce. Show me Beyonce. She was a Super Bowl halftime act. I think it was a circle like 2013 or okay. 14, somewhere in there. So you're not too far off, but okay. not within the last four years. Katy Perry. Show me Katy Perry. That one is even closer. I think that was uh, either one or two years off of of what we're looking for, just outside that range. Wow. I know. It seems like it was just yesterday, but. Yeah. Uh, Going back to like 2000, I was looking at the list, and going back to like 2012, it was, even the 2012 one seemed like one that I remembered like it was just a year or two ago. So this is kind of tough to sort them out in your head, which one's which. Um, and this based off the news, by the way, that the weekend was announced as this Super Bowl halftime act. How about Justin Timberlake? Give me Justin Timberlake. <laughs> JT is on there. 2018 is when he was the halftime act at the Super Bowl. So you got two correct answers, two left to get, and you have two strikes. Twos across the board. Yes, twos. In a 2-2 okay. game, nonetheless. Ooh, yes. Wow. Hey, add right. to it. Add to All it. All right. Do I have time to say buckle up and put the phone down? I'm a reminder from the NDOT Highway Safety Office. Do so I have time to do that? Yes, you just did. Yeah. <laughs> All right. We'll um, allow him. Okay, thanks. Um, <laughs> we won't count that as stalling. How about John strike. Legend? How about John Legend? <laughs> no. Austin, over to you. For the steal attempt and a yeah. three-two lead. Um, Give us I've, your thought process. I have, here. I have three names down here. Okay, you can give a give us all of them if you want. I could if uh, they all count as one guess. No, I mean like just tell us your process here and then pick one. Well, um, I seem to remember Lady Gaga jumping off the top of a stadium not too long ago. I don't know if it's within the correct time frame. I think Bruno Mars is somewhere in there, and I seem to remember Travis Scott not too long ago um, with a little bit of a sweet victory performance. Um, I will say Travis Scott. Uh, Do we have Travis Scott? (laughs) Should I have gone with Lady Gaga? Should have gone Lady Gaga, yep. Yep. And Bruno Mars... uh, was an answer from longer ago. I think right. he was like 2014 or 15. So who did we miss? So the... Gaga the only, was three. Yeah, yeah, Lady Gaga was one, and then the only other one you missed was Maroon 5. That was only oh. two years ago. That was, besides yeah, Shakira yeah. and Jennifer Lopez, that was the most... Second, it was one. one of those guys from The Voice. I knew it wasn't Blake Shelton. Yeah. Yep. All, All right, right, gentlemen. Austin, you need this to stay alive. Need it badly. All right, gentlemen. There are five men's college basketball teams that have won at least 87% of their home games and their home arenas. Who are they? Austin. Greg. 
<laughs> Austin. Kansas. How about KU? Rock Shot. Yes. Kansas at number five at 87.2%. All right. I will play um, Duke. How about the Blue Devils? Sorry. This is a trick question for you, but this is Ben's question. He came up with this, and he did this just for you because he knew (laughs) that you would guess Duke. 86% for Duke. Ah, I see the cutoffs now. Below it. (laughs) And there's a bunch of teams at 86, by the way. How about... Um, Duke was actually number 15 on the list. Oh, okay. Whoa. But they're all within within percentage points of each other. How about we go up to the Pacific Northwest to the Kennel Gonzaga? Show me Gonzaga. You bet. You betcha. Number one. Gonzaga number one on the list, 92.3%. Zags are good, in case you didn't know. Yeah. They win games, especially at home. That they do. Let me think here. This is all time, correct? Yes. Okay. Um, All of these arenas are at least nine years old, so it's not like teams played oh. one or two seasons. And okay. I was really hoping you weren't going to think about Gonzaga, Austin. That was I uh, got Gonzaga on the mind. How about Kentucky? Show me Kentucky. Yeah, absolutely. Rupp Arena, eighty-nine point five percent for the Kentucky Wildcats. You're missing number two. And number four with two strikes left. Missing numbers two and number four with two strikes left. Okay. How about the tar holes of UN cheat? (laughs) (laughs) I think you meant North Carolina. Is that on the board? Or not? Hope they lose all their. Where are they? They are. uh, They're at number twelve, so they are a few percentage points ahead of Duke in that regard. Okay. All right, one strike left. You've got two against you, three correct answers, and two left to get. Right. And Greg waiting in the wings, hoping for a steal and a win of the game. Oh, man. I feel like i got to get at least one more here to feel slightly less bad. Yeah. I mean, you can mm. feel bad no matter what. That's kind of Well, I am your... certainly not feeling great. Right. Got a laundry list of teams. Don't know which ones to go with, though. Because um, I'm thinking pretty recent, but I don't know if that's necessarily the way to go. Um, how about University of Connecticut? Show me UConn. Oh. All right, Greg, for the steal. And, the and this is in their current arena? Yes, current arenas. All right, so that narrows it down. I, I'm going to go Louisville because the Yum Center hasn't been open that long. I'll go Louisville. How about the Yum Center in Louisville? No, we're going to a, a game seven here. Greg, Louisville was nine, 86.2% for the Yum Center. It's, it's not Creighton, is it? No. No, Xavier. Xavier is oh. number four. And Oregon. And Oregon, yeah. Oh. Huh. Okay. All right. We move on to question number seven, tiebreaker here. I took a page out of Greg's book from a survey of 100 people named five sports that mothers hope their child never plays. Austin. Austin in first. Football. How about football? 
That was the number two answer, 34 people said that out of 100. I will play and say hockey. Show me hockey. That's the number one answer, 36. Keep the kids away from the pucks. Yeah. <laughs> Anything with a helmet probably is a decent guess, but that's not, that's not all the answers, so don't. How about boxing? Show me boxing. Great guess. Mom, How is that not on Moms there? don't wow. care about boxing. They want their kids to be tough and beat the other kids up. Oh, wow. Okay, that is absolutely shocking to me. Let me think here. I mean, <laughs> about like MMA. Is that different? Uh, I, MMA? MMA? <laughs> moms don't care about that either, apparently. Nope. Get in the octagon, throw some blows. <laughs> Goodness gracious. What do these <laughs> mothers don't care about their children? Wow, okay. Quickly two strikes now after two quick correct answers. Feeling so good about those first yeah, three. Yeah, you were, you were on fire, and then it Holy quickly has turned the other way. rattled you. I, duh. All right. Man. Sports mothers don't want their sons to play. Man. Gonna slap a time limit on you. Yep. I, yeah. Um... Five seconds. Wrestling. How about wrestling? Oh, correct. All right. Three answers for you to get Greg for the steal and wow. the victory. Let's go gymnastics. Show me gymnastics for the steal and the win. No. Austin hangs on. The last three answers were baseball, what? soccer, and rugby. Rugby I get. Good the other two. Wow. I don't know. Lady. That's just... I don't know why that would be the first. I don't know answer. where the survey was taken. <laughs> yeah, that's. Uh, <laughs> uh, All right, off he's unstoppable. <laughs> I'm telling you, he's unstoppable. Was four three. It's as close as it gets. Was not wow. feeling good about missing Lady Gaga. After not feeling good about it after that one. I could have closed it out if I could have got her in there. Dang it, man. Nothing good on TV anymore? Struggling to find something to watch? There's no crying in baseball! Well, we've got you covered. I'm gonna make him an offer he can with you. All right, Mr. DeMille, I'm ready for my close-up. It's time now for Sports Nightly Flicks Picks. And action! All right, let's see what's on everybody's screens. Josh, you're gonna lead us off tonight. That's right, I'm gonna lead us off, and I, as I mentioned, uh, a couple of weeks ago, I, we were finishing up um, the Marvel movies and finished those off. That was great. And then we moved on and have been watching some uh, kind of a hodgepodge of things. And earlier this week, uh, we watched a movie uh, that I had never seen, but has been out for a while, 10 years, Dinner for Schmucks. Here's a little trailer <laughs> of that. All right, how do I look? Ready? A little sweaty. A post-it? I ate it! <laughs> <laughs> a better place one floor up today's a day i'm gonna get the promotion does that mean this is my new office not yet i host a dinner once a month we can do saturday it's not really a girlfriend type thing you invite idiots to dinner and make fun of them okay that is messed up i know so you told them you're not going oh yeah no absolutely 
All right, so this is a movie that, like I said, I'd never seen before, but obviously I'd heard of it. It has Steve Carell, Paul Rudd, Zach Galifianakis in it. I um, I thought it was funny. There were parts of it that had me really laughing out loud, which <laughs> is kind of hard to do, but Steve Carell was awesome. My wife, uh, Victoria, she did not like it at all. She thought it was pretty <laughs> pretty dumb, but dumb. that's, that's yeah. kind of my, my style of humor. So it was right up my alley. I, I enjoyed it. It was, it was a good movie. One of those guy movies. True. And you try to pull the wife into it, and they just kind of shake you off. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Austin. Yeah, I, that Dinner for Schmucks is Steve Carell, just most Steve Carell. So <laughs> earnest. He's playing yeah. the role so well. Pretty solid movie overall. As for me, I'm still going through Designated Survivor with the wife. We're almost done with season two. I'm almost ready to move on to season three. And I think we're going to start Superstore on Hulu after yes. that. It's got some uh. people that wrote The Office uh, involved with that. It looks pretty solid, so I think we'll check that out once we're done. Very good. I am just about done with season two of Ozark. I started season two about a month ago. Just about done. I got two episodes left. It's good. I don't have to tell a lot of you. You've already probably seen season three by now. And my wife and I are big fans of This Is Us. It's back on NBC. Started a couple of weeks ago. Terrific show. It's uh, really well done. We're three episodes already into this season of This Is Us. Good quality stuff. Callers and guests into our show. Dot us up on our Sports Sunday hotline brought to you by the Woodhouse Auto Family, bringing you more choices in brands, locations, and service. Experience the difference. Purchase with confidence. This is Woodhouse. Tomorrow night, we'll have a preview of Ben's Cornhusker conversation for Saturday's pregame show. Ian Rappaport, the NFL Network, will be here, and we'll have our ever-popular Big Ten picks coming your way tomorrow night. My thanks to Ben, Josh, Austin, and all of you. Have a great night. We'll do you do this all over again tomorrow night. Good night.